Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Rokan. And I'm Richard Snubbed Again Roper. <laughs> well, was it really a snub? Didn't the Oscars pretty much turn out almost as we predicted? Incredibly boring and awkward? Awkward, yes. Uh, boring at times in how we predicted, eh, yes and no. We'll go through the winners and the losers. No time for snubs. We have to wait till next year to find out who got snubbed. <laughs> really interesting night, though, because, you know, this is the first time that they tried to make it filmic and pandemic at the same time. We'll get to that in just a moment. But reminding you that Screen Time with Rowan Roper is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing, and all drives your overall business success. AmericanEagle.com believes today's online world is your opportunity. Visit them at AmericanEagle.com today to get started. So before we get to the actual ballot and who did what, when, who won, who should have won, who didn't win, the broadcast itself, really interesting, the very beginning of it, where it was like a Steven Soderbergh film because he was one of the producers, reminded me very much of Ocean's Eleven, Regina King, The Long Walk, from the garden area or whatever the hell that was right. into the facility they were going to actually be having the television show in. Pretty cool. Also shot in 24 frames per second, which makes it look more like a film than the digital 30 frames per second. I thought it was visually arresting and really cool, and they had a very similar kind of a jazzy score like we saw at the beginning of Ocean's Eleven, which, by the way, is 20 years old now it's been wow. two decades since it came out uh, and i loved it because even the credits were all the uh, presenters and nominees and you're thinking that would be the greatest movie ever and the camera following her very fluid and then they dropped that conceit that was just for the opening credits right but i want to go back a little bit Rokan, if we yeah. can sure and ask you what you thought about the pre-show and the pre-pre-pre-show and the pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-show. They oh, had, man. there's always red carpet stuff, you know, right. in advance. And then ABC picks it up down the road. Sometimes it's the local ABC affiliate or E or whatever the case may be. So you had the limited red carpet, right, mm -hmm. with uh, just a few members of the press and a few cameras stationed throughout, camera operators, nobody in the bleachers like they've had for the last 25 years or so. But then they did the pre-show. And you mentioned that setting, which looks a lot like, all the uh, hipster outdoor pool bars they have at hotels in yes. Los Angeles, Very right? Very hotelish. Yeah. We're like, is that? Wait a minute, that's Stephen Dorf sneaking a cigarette over there. <laughs> you know, you always spot people like that. So they had Lil Rel Howery and Ariana DeBose as the hosts of this uh, pre-show party. Mm -hmm. What I did like, Ro, mm -hmm. was the fact that they had the five nominated songs were featured in full-on pre-produced performances during the pre-show. What'd you think of that? Oh, very cool. And they didn't show them from the film because often these are credit songs anyway. Yeah, so credit you songs. wouldn't really yeah. want to show the credits rolling. So they did do a really cool thing, especially the one for the Eurovision song where they were doing Husevik. it. Yeah, Husevik. Husevik. Right. Whatever. But they were doing it in Europe and it looked all all European and there was no was masks. Amazing. Only thing I could think of was you got all these kids that are all singing and yeah. we've been told don't sing because that spreads the disease. And they're all there. 
and we're not caring about it because it's overseas. Well, yes, and this this it's an actual village in Iceland, and Eurovision Song Contest was kind of a polarizing movie. I thought it was really funny, and Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams were great. The song that's nominated, she lip syncs it in the movie. Rachel McAdams is not a singer, and she's the first one to tell you that, and it works perfectly for her character, you know, and the way she does the lip syncing in this farce, this yeah. farcical comedy, if you will, yes. uh, but as an actual song performed in Husavik, and they've been campaigning for it. I looked it up. It's this fishing village in Iceland. I mean, as you mentioned, it looked like something out of a fairy tale, the way it was lit, and then all the little Husavik kids in their Husavik sweaters singing their Husavik song was yeah. the most Husavik thing ever. And it made me want to go whale watching there. You know, like <laughs> I, I guarantee you the, the the four little bed and breakfasts there are all going to be filled up forever. But it turns out that's a beautiful song because if, if you just listen to the song and watch the production, you're like, this could have been in a Frozen movie, in one of those Frozen movies. And parents would be having it and they're stuck in their heads forever. And I thought it was a backlot or Epcot or something like that. I did not actually get the sense it was real. When I was watching it, because everybody was like too perfect, the kids were like too perfect, and the were too perfect, and the lighting and all of that's that. That's just Husevik being Husevik. Yeah, I suppose. I <laughs> liked uh, Leslie Odom Jr. I liked his yeah. performance on the roof. They did that at the the new Academy Museum. Yeah, they're doing a lot of plugs for that museum. Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, they've been building that thing for a decade now in Los Angeles, so mm -hmm. it's about time that it finally opens up because yeah. they've been promising all of these really super cool things for like average mopes like ourselves to go look at and then great grand parties for the Hollywood glitterati and their roof yeah. deck that overlooks and, yeah. all of the valley yeah. there. And scholarship programs and training and all that kind of stuff. But it is interesting because there's not like, you know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio or Cooperstown for the Baseball Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. There really isn't, and this isn't, they're not calling it the Movie Hall of Fame, but it's no. kind of the Movie Hall of Fame. Right, it is. Right. And it's, I'm very glad that they're doing what they're doing. Mm. I just do not understand whether we're going to see this again next year. I kind of think that they're going to keep the pre-show with the musical yes, numbers yeah. in it, but will they be always promoting something? Because, you know, there were some shameless plugs for ABC and for Disney, which I totally get. I mean, it is their broadcast, and they can do whatever they want. And sure. We work for Disney and ABC uh, when we're not doing this, so I fully All support All them. For it. Whatever they want to do. It did feel a little like oversold, like product placement-y. Yeah, you're going to get that. I mean, you see that in a lot of telecasts where there's all kinds of tie-ins these days. Uh, then let's talk a little bit about the telecast itself. Hostless, once again, and that was the plan even, I think, pre-pandemic, wrote. It's, right. been, it's been that way for a few years now, and that's in some cases because, you know, at one point Kevin Hart was going to host a couple of years ago, and then someone found a tweet from 2011. Right. It's and the then cancellation all yeah. pandemic before the actual disease yeah. pandemic. And a lot of other award shows have kind of moved on without the traditional host, 10-minute monologue, then does a few bits and everything. As you mentioned, we talked about Regina King opened the ceremony. They get right to the screenplay categories, but the downtown LA, the Union Station setting, we've talked about the fact that it's been used as a locale for so many films and not always as a train station, whether it was a, the courthouse in The Dark Knight Rises or a bank in Catch Me If You Can. Mm -hmm. Harrison Ford, who actually came on there and talked about the early uh, notes they got for Blade Runner from the studio saying all the things that were wrong with it, actually filmed a scene for Blade Runner in there, though he didn't mention that. He might not have remembered that. You know, but it's a cool locale. I want to say that I understood after it was all said and done what the point of Harrison Ford was coming out there and stumbling his way through those notes. 
And I get that part of Harrison Ford's charm is that he's very much an artiste and he does stumble and he's weird and quiet and soft and all that when he's being Harrison Ford, but he's so dynamic when he's Indiana Jones or any other character he ever played. At his age, you start to wonder, is he well or has he just always been like that? He's always been like that. I could tell you somebody has talked to him. We've talked to him a few times. And uh, even when he's in a great mood, he sounds like he's in a (laughs) terrible mood. Because the last time we talked to him on a broadcast show you and I did together, he was like, you know, I'm in a great mood. It's a good movie. It's a hell of a picture. And Richard, it's so good to talk to you. And Roe. And I'm like, is he mad at us? And he was like, well, I think he also... He, he sometimes will just, you know, wet his whistle uh, oh, for a conversation, yeah. which we would do as well yeah. if we endorse that. But yeah. uh, Well, do you think Callista Flockhart yells at him because he doesn't talk enough at home? Well, I she, never know what you're thinking. Well, because she's hiding the keys to all the prop planes, which he has to end up <laughs> landing on golf courses and in backyards. So, you know, where's the keys? Yeah. Where's the keys to the plane, honey? And yeah. she's like, just weird. take a ride. But... Uh, they, they try to do a lot of different things. So they have previous Oscar winners like they always have, like Reese Witherspoon would come on. You know, it's kind of funny that she uh, gave the award for best animated short because, as people pointed out, she's very short and very animated. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of perfect for oh, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. And then Laura Dern was wearing something. Uh, the bottom half looked like, you know, she got some sort of cat or dog that sheds a lot and hadn't checked her dress. But she's Laura Dern. She's yeah. great. But they instead of showing a lot of clips, they would turn to a nominee and say, you know, to Lakeith Stanfield, you transcended the mere art of a period piece drama. You know, like these long kind of tributes to them. You can see the actor sometimes like, I did, didn't I? I did do that. It was, <laughs> But they didn't show clips of their performances as much. But that, to me, got a little tedious, a little too self-congratulatory. Uh, okay. And now, little Rel Howery, I think, is great. And by the way, he should be Rel Howery now. That's I think true. Is really, the, the That's point. a good point. Yeah. But... I, and I, I mean, I, I like both of them as performers, but generally when you take actors or performers, music artists, whatever they happen to be, and you make them into hosts at that moment, you tend not to get as good a show because they're just reading the cards and they're not reacting as much to what the people are saying as much as they are just thinking about the next thing that they have to ask them because it's sure. in front of them. Yeah. And and uh, Lil Rel, almost on every single question was, how you doing? That was the beginning of it all. And that throws everything off because when you ask somebody, how are they doing? Now you spend 30 seconds going through that weird little introductory cultural thing that we all do as opposed to, hey, you were in this movie. Why do you think you should win the Oscar? Or what was your favorite part of working with blah, 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 or blah, blah, blah. It just get to it, man. Well, it proves the point that even you know, and people will watch entertainment journalists and say, "Oh, anybody could do that," and it's lightweight stuff. And of course, it's you know, compared to doing hardcore political reporting or reporting on world events, it's not the same thing. But there's an art and a skill oh, to it. Wait a second, you know, for decades, more than three decades, you and I have been interviewing everybody from newsmakers to politicians to artists, filmmakers, yeah. actors, actresses, musicians. They are the hardest interviews, bar none. As a matter of fact, I think actors are the hardest interview, followed immediately by comedians. And you think, well, comedians are easy because they want to be funny. They don't. They don't want to do their material. They tend to be self-hating and very insular when they're not on stage. Actors, like Harrison Ford, you can get people who just literally are vessels. They're great actors because they don't really ever want to let you know who they truly are because it'll get in the way of whatever character they're going to play. Well, that's a great point. You and I have talked to so many comedians, and we've always held our breath because there are some who come ready to play. Uh, You know, Jim Brewer, 
uh, your friend Frank Caliando, who will do any impersonation and doesn't say there, well, you have to come see my show if you want to see me do John Madden, comes in doing the characters. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried will come in doing the Gilbert Gottfried voice. And I don't want to mention some of the other names, but some of the most brilliant comics you've ever seen come in, and they are. They're very, they're very much like... Hey guys, uh, two shows in St. Charles tonight. Man, <laughs> life is just life is just not what it should be. I'll oh tell man! You. And you got nine many, more yes. minutes to go. Yeah. But the the ceremony itself, so not as many clips were shown. Uh, we had the remotes, and you talked about this, and I think they did a very nice job. There were a couple of times where they went to winners who were in France, uh, and mostly though in London where they were spaced about a theater. Mm-hmm. It reminded me sometimes where I give a speech and they told me they almost sold out the auditorium and you walk in and there's 18 people spread across the theater. <laughs> uh, but but once whenever they went to someone who for a speech, it worked well because it was a satellite feed, not like a Zoom right. or a, a cheap hookup, which they had done on previous uh, award shows. There were later that night cheap hookups, by the way. I just want to point that hey out. Go ahead. Now. Yeah, see what I did. So that all worked about as seamlessly as it could work. Now, we just had Questlove as the orchestra, as the band, who is a right. one-man band and is yeah. fantastic. But he must have been given the instructions or the suggestion not to play anybody off because some of the speeches went on and on right. and on. And in some cases, you really couldn't cut somebody off because oh. they were talking about some tragedies Dead in their child. personal lives yeah. uh, and things going on in the world so it would have been really incredibly awkward I found it weird though he made choices for the films in some cases when a film would win or an actor would win from a film or whatever he wouldn't play the music from the film he was playing other kind of housey sort of things you know sort of new agey thumpity thump things that kind of get the motion of the person moving to yeah. the to the stage which there is no real stage. I mean, everybody was five feet away, unlike at the regular Oscars where it could be kind of an awkward hold your breath moment. Are they going to trip over their dress or whatever? That wasn't the case last night. And that it just the music didn't quite. And I love yeah. Questlove too, but I just did not fully feel that part yeah, of it. Yeah, I think he was doing late night talk show band yeah. leader Questlove musical choices where sometimes you'll do a funny play on song that plays off the name of the guests or something they have done, but you know. In this case, often it was odd and, you know, almost awkward. Uh, Chloe Zhao, when she won for Best Director for Nomadland and gave a very heartfelt speech and very moving speech and a serious speech about her life and growing up and overcoming challenges and how we should all be better people. And then they played Live and Let Die, yes. the theme from the Bond movie, the McCartney theme, as she was walking off, which seemed to be... And again, I know he didn't mean it this way, but it seemed almost callous. Like, oh yeah, live and let die. Mm-hmm. And then when Rita Moreno came out, Rita Moreno, the legend of legends, yes, uh, who who I EGOT. think invented the EGOT, right? Yeah. The Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, the Tony. And when she was introduced, he played the theme from the Electric Company, the children's uh, television workshop show that she was on. Yeah. In the 70s, which is a great show. God bless the electric company. I think uh, Morgan Freeman, pre-scandal Bill Cosby. There were all <laughs> kinds of big names on there. Would but, have been cute if it were the Emmys, not appropriate for the it Oscars. Didn't, it seemed disrespectful. And again, yeah. I'm sure that's not... I probably thought, oh, this is clever. But it was the kind of thing where like three different people from that era... You know who grew up watching that show? Text me. What did they just play the theme from the electric company? Know, like, fair. like it, like somebody had left their yeah. uh, their you know their mic open somewhere else. I'm sorry, I was listening to that. It was a little odd. And I want to get to the politics too. Regina King, when she walked out, she addressed it. She had things to say that were important to yeah. her, and I think it was a, a really great point that she made about raising a young 
African-American boy. And every time he leaves the house as he got older, if he got into a car and drove away, you worry about that. You worry about about a kid maybe getting caught misidentified or whatever it is. And next thing you know, they're in some sort of a tussle with law enforcement. Yeah. And yeah. she made the point just because she's an Academy Award winner and has been, you know, fabulously successful and wealthy doesn't mean that her son is safe when he walks out the door. And I thought that was a, a very key point for her to make. Cause she said, I know a lot of you are reaching for your clickers right now. You don't want to hear right. this. You know? And, and she said, you know, you, and Hollywood and politics should be separate. Well, they're never, ever going to be separate, no. especially in the film industry, because so yeah. many films are political in either their agenda or their subject matter, yeah. or whatever. They should, they should always be separate. And now the trial of the Chicago seven, right. <laughs> or, I mean, you know, whatever on. it is. And then, yeah. and, but, and it's so funny because people are like, yeah, just shut up and entertain me. Well, do you talk politics? It's your job. You probably don't. That's an argument that people could be making about each other all day long. long. It's just part of the fabric of our culture. However, I did not see any kind of fairness until later on when Tyler Perry stood up and made his speech about inclusion. Mm -hmm. And he included police officers in his inclusion because it is so easy right now to go after police and after the first responders who are trying to keep people safe, 99% of the people who go out and do that job are Mm -hmm. not going out there to hassle people or to murder people. They're going out there to try to protect people from getting assaulted or murdered or whatever. And so we do have to have a certain amount of respect for that. It was really, really, really refreshing to hear a gigantic gigantic Hollywood bigwig like Tyler Perry yes. get up and say that, especially an African-American guy. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic, uh, so admirable. And Tyler Perry, you know, it's interesting because most of those movies he has done that have always made a lot of money, he doesn't show them to critics because he knows we're not going to like them. And they're kind of critic-proof. They always make money. And I, I don't begrudge him that. And I actually like some of his other films and a couple of the films he's done, but he's made this incredible fortune and built this you know, tremendous studio. So he's employing hundreds, if not thousands of people. But what we also learned and have been told a little bit, but really learned last night was all of the incredible things he does behind the scenes where he's putting his money and his clout where his mouth is. And of course, you know, it even extends to the fact that we found out a couple of weeks ago when uh, when Meghan Markle and Harry first came over here, they <laughs> sta- he let him stay at one of his houses. Right, because they needed security. He's got good security. He's got good security. Yeah. That's true. But he does incredible things. But that was a highlight. Things. I agree with you. That yes. was a highlight of the night. He does. He he is one of those undersung figures as a producer and as a, 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 a mogul, really, in the Hollywood firmament. And in part because he's not in Hollywood. He lives in Atlanta. And he goes to L.A. to do business deals with the banks. And then he goes back to Atlanta to do his work. And I think that the guy is really... a. a going to be remembered for this probably end up being 50 years of product yeah, that he'll yeah. be responsible for in some way shape or form as more than just Medea. well and actors as you know have been producers and even sometimes have become heads of, of studios and directors for as long as there's been hollywood but i don't think as much as now more so than ever before because a lot of the women who didn't get those opportunities you know we could talk about you know great exceptions like somebody like lucille ball who became one of the great television executives of all time but when we were you know watching yesterday first of all francis mcdormand won two academy awards she won for best actress but she also won as a legitimate producer a, you know a, a named producer on nomadland but then when uh yu jung yoon won for minari 
or we found out that it's Minari. Minari. Yeah. Uh, people were like, oh, isn't it cute? She was flirting with Brad Pitt. And she said, look, where were you when we were filming? That's because he's an executive producer on right. the film. She wasn't just saying that out of the blue. And I'll give her credit for one other thing. I don't know if this moment was captured on camera, but you talk about the idiotic questions that happen sometimes in the press conferences afterwards. Somebody asked her, did you get close enough to Brad Pitt to tell us what he smells like? And she said, I'm not a dog, so I didn't smell him. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's great. She is great. She is a ginormous star in Korea. Yeah, South Korean legend. She cannot yeah. walk down the street. She's Meryl Streep yes. of South Korea. Yes. Right? Here, she is completely unrecognizable, yeah. and she talked about that. She talked about, it's got to be weird for somebody who yeah. is of that such incredible fame in their home country, and to come here, and they're like, yeah, get to the back of the line at the Walmart. Well, I remember uh, as a kid hearing about how one of the reasons Johnny Carson loved going overseas was The Tonight Show didn't play there. And nowadays, you know, everyone knows who Jimmy Fallon is or whatever because of YouTube and all this other stuff. But Johnny Carson could basically go essentially unrecognized as opposed to when he was in the States. She was great. She gave a great speech as well. Yes, a lot of good speeches. That film has my heart. Go see Menari. You will love it. Even though it has subtitles, it's an American movie in a foreign language, which made me wonder where would that fit? Because it is a foreign language film, but it's also domestically produced. And That's exactly right. Yeah. Each country submits one film as their international, what they call now instead of foreign film. So. Yeah. So anyway, it is really, really spectacular. And, and it will change the way that you look at so many things it's a period piece. It doesn't mm-hmm. take place in the current day, Correct. but it sets up the current day beautifully. Yep. All right. We'll get to actually who won, who lost, and there were some surprises. We'll talk about that very quickly. But first, Portillo's is known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients right down to the poppy seed bun. And of course, the legend, the chocolate cake. But that's just the beginning, my friends. The menu is bursting with mouthwatering varieties of Favorites like charbroiled burgers, Italian beef sandwiches, beef, wet, dipped, hot, <laughs> sweet. That's what you got to do here in Chicago. Cheese fries, chopped salads, a Chicagoland favorite since 1963. Portillo's also has locations throughout the Midwest and Florida, California, Arizona. Those three places as well. Order curbside pickup or delivery today. Ship Portillo's anywhere in the United States of America by ordering at Portillo's. Here's the ballot, and there were some surprises and unexpected victories last night and some unexpected losses. Yeah, my early ballot looked like my NCAA March Madness bracketology, <laughs> like busting my bracket. I went 0 for 2 from the start with the uh, with the original screenplay and adapted screenplay. You know, adapted screenplay, the father won, which was the first indication that there might be something else coming for the father later in the evening. Mm-hmm. And then... When uh, Emerald Fennell won for Promising Young Woman, for her screenplay for Promising Young Woman, she also directed it, and I think people know by now she was Camilla Parker on The Crown. She's a terrific actress. When she won for original screenplay, Ro, I was thinking, like, it's going to win. She's going to sweep. They're going to win for everything they're nominated for. And it turned out not the case at all. That was the only win for that film. There was a little bit of a distribution of the Academy Awards where, for example, uh, Sound of Metal, we knew it probably wasn't going to win for Best Picture, or Riz Ahmed or Paul Racy were not going to win for their wonderful performances, but it won for editing, and it won for sound. Mank won for production design Mm -hmm. and cinematography, which we kind of expected. The one movie that got shot out completely was The Trial of the Chicago 7, where it just didn't quite 
capture or captivate enough voters to win anything. I still think it's a terrific film that will play well for decades to come. But uh, and Aaron no Sorkin wins. was sitting in that room the entire time. You kept seeing Aaron Sorkin when they would yeah. like walk up onto the second balcony and talk to somebody yeah. along with Polina Poroskova. Point is that I felt badly for him because it is it's a it's a really really well done film. It just like you said, it just kind of got lost in the mechanics of all the rest of this stuff. And I thought that was also very interesting that it was spread out. The whole night turned out to be about democratic inclusion from the yeah. speeches to the way they set the whole thing up to the way that the Academy has addressed the Oscars so white thing mm-hmm. over the last half decade has changed the entire presentation. Well, we and we did see uh, some moments of history. Chloe Zhao. Only the second woman ever to win an Academy Award for directing. The first was Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker, which, believe it or not, was a decade ago. The first woman of color to ever win for Best Direction. And, of course, the film won as well. So that was groundbreaking. Uh, It was great to see Daniel Kaluuya win for Supporting Actor. Uh, and his amazing speech where he started off very profound and then thanked his uh, mother for having sex with his father. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, much to her chagrin because she was watching from London. <laughs> I just pictured like the texts that were coming into him that would just be like, Daniel, 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 <laughs> you know, from his mother. Uh, but then we saw, I think, a little bit of still the old school Hollywood coming forward with some of the other wins. Frances McDormand, I did not think was going to win for Nomadland because she's won twice before. She won for Fargo, and then she won just a few years ago for Three Billboards. I was stunned. I didn't think she was going to win. I thought I thought it was going to be Carrie Mulligan for yeah, Promising Young Woman. I did too. And Carrie Mulligan deserves uh, something for that. I know she won the Golden Globe and and she's she's had some other successes here. But that movie will just change your life and especially for women who have encountered date rape or hmm. any other kind of indignity at the hands of a bro. That movie is the ultimate Me Too revenge flick. I think Promising Young Woman is something that will be shown in film classes, that will be you know, a part of the fabric of conversation for years to come. Carrie Mulligan's a terrific actress. She'll definitely have another nomination or two in her career. Uh, Andre Day, we both loved her in the United States versus Billie Holiday, and she looked amazing, and she sounded amazing in the movie. She did all her own singing. That was the other one I thought might be an upset winner because Hollywood loves showbiz biopics. I mean, we just had yeah. Remy Malek winning for playing Freddie Mercury. We had Renee Zellweger winning for playing Judy Garland. And that's just a few of those examples from recent years. But uh, Frances McDormand is now really in rarefied air. That's three best actress trophies. And her husband, Joel Cohn, has... Well, she's got four Oscars because she went for producing last night as well. And he's got four mm-hmm. for various films the Cohn brothers have done. They have eight Oscars. So how many rooms have doorstops that are Oscars? And knowing them, you know, I could I could see that they might know where five of them are. <laughs> uh, but I did mention uh, on the social media that they're two away from being the only couple who could ever go bowling with Oscars. Literally bowling oh. with Oscars. And that would be a tribute to the Big Lebowski. I love that idea. I learned last night that the Oscar weighs 18 pounds. You know, and they always go, oh, it's yeah. so heavy. Yeah, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. 18 pounds. Why would it, what's, what's the point of that? Well, because you know, because you don't want to pick it up, and it feels like one of those novelty things you get down the block, you know, from the yes. Oscars at one of those I wacky suppose. stores. It's 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 got real heft to it. It's a yeah, and you know, the cool thing too is back in the day, 
I would say as recently as 10 years ago, you'd be handed the Academy Award and then they'd snatch it from your hands backstage because they'd have to send it out to get engraved. Right. Now they have on-site engraving, so you get to take home your Oscar, uh, which is really, really cool. So Francis McDormand, you know, twice they had to make sure it was with an E, Francis with an E, you know, and not Mac Dorman, but McDormand. So you get to take your Oscar home. Thank God, because, you know, things never we go right about- for these celebrities. Uh- <laughs> my, oh my god i gotta wait two weeks for the engraver to do my oscar they always have those super glamorous photos in like vanity fair magazine or online these days and it's showing the winner you know the best actress winner in her glamorous suite and there's the room service breakfast there yeah and they're in the fluffy robe and they look fantastic and the the Oscar's all shiny and polished, and you're thinking, oh, I bet they had to do a lot of prep and wipe stuff off of that trophy and really straighten out that hotel room before the camera person came oh, in yo. there. Oh, yeah, you better believe that. <laughs> and the biggest surprise of the night, obviously, Chadwick Boseman not winning for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That was so strange, Ro, because they did uh, Best Picture prior to that. I believe the producers, who don't know who the winners are uh, in advance, Thought for sure it was going to be Chadwick Boseman and thought they'd end on that, you know, incredibly moving note. So when Joaquin Phoenix said Anthony Hopkins for the father, Anthony Hopkins, by the way, had gone to bed because it was like, what, three in the morning in Wales, where he's from and where he's where he was last night. I almost thought it was going to be a moonlight La La Land moment for a second. I'm like, did he get that right? But he did. Uh, And we did talk about the fact that if anybody was going to pull off the upset, it was going to be Anthony Hopkins. But Chadwick Boseman was the single biggest favorite not to win in any category in this century. He definitely deserved an Oscar, and it's heartbreaking to know there are no more chances for it. It was was a little jarring because uh, the other thing was Olivia Colman, who is an Oscar winner, who played Anthony Hopkins' daughter in The Father, was standing by if he won to give a speech on his behalf, and they didn't throw it to him. That was Joaquin Phoenix, I think, just didn't do it. So then Questlove just kind of said goodbye for him. And I don't think it was a deliberate thing. I think Joaquin just didn't know that that's what they were supposed to do. So we didn't even get that moment of grace, but we got a moment of incredible grace the following morning when Anthony Hopkins went on the Instagram, because he's Uh on the social media, Uh and uh, was in a field in Wales and just talked about how what a shock it was to him to win at the age of 83, and actually he also uh, gave a lovely tribute to Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Well, hopefully next year we'll be back to normal. They'll be back at the Dolby Theater or the Tatum Channing Theater, or whatever these things are named. Was it the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion? Remember, yeah, it was that's there right. forever yeah, it was, and ever. Yeah. yeah, It's the only thing they ever did at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, as far as I could tell. Well, she was a spitfire in her day. I'll bet. And the Oscars are going to be next February, I think, again. And I think they're also going to add a category of what took you so long, where they're going to honor all the films that were delayed 117 times, like the Bond movie and the Top Gun sequel and A Quiet Place 2, all of which should be coming out at some point between now and then. Roan Rubber Podcast, brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. I want to thank our executive producers, Tim Melanius and Renee Nelson. Our music and production director is Brian Altimer. See you next time. <laughs>